As we continue to worship, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to two passages, one in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, one in the New Testament, Acts chapter 17. We will start in two weeks our spring, really late winter, going into spring, uh, and we'll be in our third act of the book of Act, uh, book of Exodus. We will, uh, if you remember last spring, we were in the Ten Commandments, and previous to that in 2021, from January through about May in 2021, we were in the first uh, first part of the book of Exodus. So, in three successive springtime uh, worship gatherings uh, throughout this whole season. We're going to walk through the whole book of Exodus. But today we start with a two-week series. It's called Sufficient. Next week is D-Now Weekend for our students. And we're really, really excited about what God is going to do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and what God's going to do beyond this weekend through this weekend. The theme is Sufficient. So in preparation of next week and then also next week, I'm going to, as a church, I'm going to lead us as a church to think about the sufficiency of God. That our God is all sufficient. We're not, you're not, none of us are. This is one of the aspects of of being a created being. I uh, I don't know how many of you uh, watched, I guess it's about four years ago, maybe five years ago, there was a a movie called Boss Baby. You remember this animated movie? Uh, the premise of the movie is a seven-year-old by the name of Tim, who is going to be a big brother. Uh, the baby shows up in a very unique way. I mean, obviously, Tim's seven years old. His life is going to be turned upside down as he is now an older brother. But this baby is wholly unique. This baby gets dropped off at the house by a taxi, full suit, wearing a tie, carrying a briefcase, walks in to the house. And if you know the premise of the movie, the premise of the movie is the little boss babies, voiced by Alec Baldwin, and actually is, has, is, a, is, a, is a boss that's in the baby's body. And as long as the uh, baby is around his parents, he's wholly dependent, needs to be fed, needs to be changed. But as soon as the parents turn away, he is wholly independent. He is able to fend for himself. And so that's what's cute about the movie. That's what's funny about the movie. And I can tell, I mean, you think this is hilarious, do you not? I'm describing this beautifully here. So, uh, so the, the premise of the movie and what, what is ironic about it is, is obviously no baby is self-sufficient. No baby is all-sufficient. And you're not either. There's a tendency for us to think that, oh yeah, that's true for a baby. A baby needs to be fed. A baby needs to have his diapers changed or her diapers changed. A baby needs to be soothed, all of that kind of stuff. But once we get past those toddler stages, once we get into the young adult stages, then we're sort of wholly all-sufficient beings here. And of course, in many ways, we are sufficient. We're able to care for ourselves, but we're not wholly independent. We're not wholly self-sufficient or all-sufficient. Every person in this sanctuary is, is, is where you are in life because you are connected to others. We need one another. That great poet, John Donne, who said, no man, no woman is an island unto themselves. And you're not. No matter how far you've achieved in your career, you are where you are because of doors that someone else opened for you. I know you worked hard. I know you studied. I know you applied yourself. 
But the way that God has created us is, is that we need others. We need others to believe in us. We need others to see things in us. We need people to give us opportunities. And so where you are, regardless of your profession, regardless of your background, is dependent upon someone else. I mean, call them a mentor. Call them a friend. Call them a teacher. But every person here can think back on this great cloud of witnesses that God has used to help us grow. No man's an island. And we live in a country that prides itself, uh, that that we can be self-made individuals, the rugged individual who by grit and determination overcomes all odds, all difficulties, and by just sheer force of personality, sheer force of individual willpower, they make a name for themselves. And it is just a fable. It's not true. Behind the most successful men and women is a great cloud of witnesses of people that were there carrying them along, even when you and I, even when we didn't even know it. That, that's true for an infant. That is true for you. We are dependent beings, but you know who's not? Is the one that we've gathered to sing about. You know who's not? It's the one that we've gathered to pray to. You know who's not? Is the one who has revealed himself to us in scripture. You are a dependent being. I am a dependent being, but you know who is self-sufficient, all-sufficient, wholly independent. It is the God who is revealed to us in scripture. Two biblical passages that I want you to think about this morning that ground this truth of the all-sufficient God first is found in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 13 through 14. Would you hear the word of the Lord? As our God who is not silent, who has revealed himself to us, his attributes, his unique characteristics in scripture, we find these questions. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows himself, his counsel? Whom did God consult? And who made God understand? Who taught God the path of justice and taught God knowledge and showed God the way of understanding? It's easy for us to take this in isolation. We need to ground it in its context. Isaiah 40 is sort of the lead off chapter for a section of Isaiah from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 55, that is going to be specifically a comforting word to uh, the people of God that are living in Babylonian captivity. They're exiled, they're homesick for their land, and they need to hear a word of comfort. They need to hear a word, hey, you, you are okay. You're not forgotten about. And you know how God doesn't do that? He doesn't come to them through the voice of Isaiah to say, I've been where you are. I remember when I was going through that difficulty. I remember when I didn't know how things were gonna work out. Actually, the opposite is being said here. God doesn't comfort the people of God in the midst of their homesickness, longing to be back in the land. He says this word, I'm not like you. The assurance that God gives to his people is I made the heavens and the earth all by myself. No one consulted with me. 
I don't, I don't get to the end of a situation and wonder, I don't exactly know what to do and have to call upon the angels to give me advice. I don't, I don't need a man or woman to, to fill in the gaps in my understanding. The comfort that God gives to the prophet Isaiah to his people is a word that we need to overhear. And it is the word of the strength of our all-sufficient God. First passage in Isaiah 40. Second passage, I want you to see in the New Testament in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25. Would you hear the word of the Lord as Paul? So the Areopagus addressing the citizens of Athens and he describes who God is. And this is how he describes him. The God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gave to or gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Athens is a place that has rich heritage, rich history. It is the apex culturally of art, architecture, philosophy, you got Epicurean philosophy, Stoic philosophy coming out of Athens. You've got a rich university with knowledge that is they're able to boast, and you've got a very religious city. Not religious like the buckle of the Bible belt kind of religious, religious in a polytheistic way, poly, many, theistic worship of God. They're worshiping many gods. And if you were able to get in a time capsule, go back 2,000 years ago, you would have been struck by just how religious these people are. Because while you might find a Baptist or a Methodist church on every corner in county seat, Alabama, in Athens, you're going to find temples on every corner. I mean, monuments to worship the many gods. You've got the, the worship of Caesar Augustus in a temple that's upon the Acropolis overlooking the city there. You have a temple to Athena, which is the Parthenon. You have the goddess Roma who has a temple and we could go on and on and on. Of these gods that they're worshiping, humans that they're deifying and they go to these places to be able to barter with their gods. And if you read in Greek and Roman mythology, you know the gods are, they're very codependent. They're very needy gods. And so Paul shows up on the scene. He's walking through this place where all these temples that are made to worship and to honor all of these gods. And he's got one message for the citizens of Athens. He says this, hey, there's one God. There, there is one God who has made heaven and earth. And guess what? There are no buildings that contain this God. It's an affront to the entire system. Their entire way of thinking, their entire way of being, Paul is challenging. He looks around, you can imagine him sort of using these living, breathing sermon illustrations. And he's always like, hey, look at the temple behind me here. Look at the temple to the right. Look at the temple to the left. The, the one true God, he doesn't need these temples. He doesn't need these, he doesn't, he's not contained by these temples. He doesn't live in these temples here. He is a God who is above. Above, doesn't live in our human structures. We doesn't need anything from us. He's above us. He gives life to us, breath to us. And in case you were wondering at home, if there's anything else, and Paul says, and everything. So everything that we have 
as dependent beings depends on an all-sufficient, self-sufficient God. Another way to say this, and it's a stark way to say it, but God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need us. And I hope you understand that's a really good thing. It's really good that the creator of the universe, that the one who sustains it all is not dependent upon his creatures. We don't complete God. We, we don't, when we respond to God, and this is, it's the beauty. He grants us the opportunity to receive his love, to experience his love, to know him. But our responses to his invitation doesn't bolster his self-confidence. He doesn't become more. It isn't that God is, is sort of 75% of re reaching his potential. And then by your response and my response, we help God move forward. It isn't that God gets bored in eternity past and says, I need a challenge. So how about uh, the fall of humanity, uh, humanity enters into the garden of Eden and I'll send my only begotten son so that I can have this thrill. Like a conquering king who's heroic, who goes to save the day. That's not how God and how God, uh, he doesn't vicariously live through us. Even the best of parents can't help at times to, to separate so, uh, ulterior motives, even in our parenting. It's hard because we're feeble, frail creatures, but God is different. God has created us to worship him, but in the fullest sense of this word, he doesn't need our worship. God has created us to love him, but in the fullest sense of this word, word he doesn't need our love because he is an all-sufficient, wholly secure God who's completely joyful, completely loving, completely holy, who doesn't create the world to pad his resume. He doesn't send his son to save humanity and for the spirit of God so that he can impress us. Everything that God offers us comes from a place of complete sufficiency. That's not how we operate. It's just not how we operate. And if we're, if we're to be honest here, we don't even note this because, because our sin curves our desires inward on us. Even in our best days, we are mixed bags of motivation. So we do for others, we love others, we, we respond to others, but it's not purely altruistic. It's not purely of a place. Uh, we, we do oftentimes, and, and we wonder, maybe it's just 5% or 1%, or maybe we can't even acknowledge it, that maybe this will be noted. Maybe somebody will see this. Maybe in a, in a human way, this will boomerang back to me, and I'll get some kind of earthly karma out of this. Th this is how we often operate. This is not how God operates. And that is really good news because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be with God for an eternity. So I hope you, you can relish the thought that you can be at ease with him. You know, one of the things that I wanna be in my own life and I pray for, and I think you do too, is you wanna be comfortable in your own skin, right? I, mean, I think this is one of the highest compliments. Sometimes Danielle and I will be talking about a person and we'll say, it's just as if when we're with them, we're just at ease. We're at ease because they're not trying to impress. 
They're not trying to sell you something. When, when they say something to you, do you know these kinds of people that are so life-giving? When they talk to you, you don't have to go back and say, did they mean something else? I know they said this, but did they actually mean this? I mean, a lot of our relationships, even with people that we dearly love and love being with, can have that kind of the, just the, the residue of the fall of humanity that just pollutes it. I mean, it just does. But God is completely comfortable in his own skin. And so you're never going to have a time in eternity where you're saying, is he mad at me? Did I say something? Did he mean something else? You're going to be in the best sense fully at ease in the presence of the creator and redeemer who you will see face to face. (laughs) What a glorious thought. And it's true because he is all sufficient. It is true because he is wholly self-sufficient. Now, how does this intersect your life? Well, two ways. And I, I think if we, if we had time, I mean, we could, we could probably just say this affects your life in, in 188 ways. I mean, there, it's probably an endless myriad of options of how this truth, this foundational truth of God's all-sufficiency intersects your life. But I just want to talk about the comfort of this truth, that this is comforting in two specific ways. First, God's all-sufficiency is our security in an insecure world. God's all-sufficiency is your security in an insecure world. Some of you know this. Some of you will learn this. But life, my friends, can change in a blink of an eye. And some of you can look in the rearview mirror of your life and say, that statement was definitely true. And you've got the scars of life in the rearview mirror of your life that you know that all too well. Life can change in a blink of an eye. This last Monday evening, it felt as if this was a lesson that our whole nation got to learn. Watching one of the highly, most highly anticipated NFL football games of the entire season, the Bills and the Bengals. I was watching it at home. I had it on mute. I was reading a book while I was watching it. And I was watching the game. I was reading. I looked up and everything had stopped. And I didn't know what was going on. I I really, they kept on going to commercial break, commercial break. I saw the replay and saw their safety, DeMar Hamlin, who goes for a tackle that when you watch the play, this is a play, for those of you that have played football, this is a play that this 24-year-old safety has, has most likely made thousands of times in his life. And thousands of times he's made that tackle in that way, at that angle, fallen to the ground and got up as he did without very scary moment falling back to the ground. And when he fell back to the ground, we were reminded as a nation that at the height of athletic achievement, at the height of, of being in, in, in pristine shape, that life is a gift and a vapor and it can change in a moment, it, it, in, in a blink of an eye. He's surrounded by medical personnel that are doing CPR. 
in the blink of an eye, the, the opposing teammates and his teammates are huddled together on their knees, crying out to God. In the blink of an eye, you have announcers that are speechless. People back in the studio that are speechless in the blink of an eye. In the blink of an eye, he's in the back of an ambulance and he's headed off to be cared for. And we're thankful for, for good progress that we're hearing about. It's, it was scary to say the least. In the blink of an eye, the nation was reminded that everything can change. Now, you're not going to have tens of millions of people watching that blink in your life. But you've been there. In the blink of an eye, you are awoken, dead of sleep, with news that would alter not only your tomorrow, but every earthly tomorrow you have. In the blink of an eye. In the blink of an eye, you went in for just a, a normal two o'clock Tuesday afternoon meeting with your supervisor. And hours later, you're cleaning out your desk and it happened in the blink of an eye. In the blink of an eye, after you went for your annual checkup and had the normal test run, everything comes back every year, normal, 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 normal. Hey, we need to do some more tests. Hey, you need to meet with this specialist. Hey, meet me in this consultation room. And in the blink of an eye, words that you have heard your friends say, family members receive, you are receiving in the blink of an eye. And I want you to hear this morning that the most comforting truth that you can hear is all of your life can change in a blink of an eye, but your all-sufficient God doesn't blink. There is never breaking news in heaven. God is never surprised by the circumstances of what occurs in your life or my life. That, that we might be, and rightfully so, it might feel as if we're falling at the end of our rope. Your all-sufficient God doesn't have a rope. Holy, secure. And while everything on earth might feel as if it's shaking, eternity and heaven is wholly secure. And in the moment of the blinks of your life, you need to know that your God is wholly in control. I think that's one of the reasons that we are going to sing until the Lord tarries. The Christian church is going to garner up the voice to sing Luther's wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. Amidst the floods of mortal ills prevailing. You know why we sing that song? Because it is so true to every person's life here. He is our security because he is the all-sufficient God. He is the one who is never thrown off. He is the one who is never out of words. He is the one that is never surprised. He is the one that never, my friends, he never blinks. And this is good news. It's good news that God's all-sufficiency is our security in an insecure world, but it's also good news that God's sufficiency is our hope in an insecure world. The question that we have to ask ourselves as Christians, if we are dependent creatures and he is an inexhaustible resource, if he is the all-sufficient, self-sufficient God, the question is, are we living in dependency upon him 
or are we living independent of him? Are we living in prayerful dependency upon him, the source of inexhaustible resources, the source of all security, all sufficiency, or are we saying to him with our life, hey God, I got it. I got it. I want to think in my own life, as, as we come to the new year, it's always a time for us to think about resolutions. And, and resolutions can be good. Holy habits are not a bad thing. And there is something about 2022 becoming 2023 for you to take spiritual inventory and to say, I can grow in this area and this area. And having discipline with that can be helpful for all of us here. The grace of God is sufficient to be able to, for us to make strides in our growth as Christians. And sometimes resolutions help us with that but I think we miss the mark in some ways. I think sometimes, at least in my own life, maybe, maybe you can overhear my own processing to see if this has ever been you. I will look back and say, I need to grow in dependency upon him in prayer. And I will think if I only had better systems, if I only was more disciplined, if I only made prayer an atomic habit for me in 2023, then I'll grow in prayer. And I will want to think that my prayerlessness is more of an indication of a lack of discipline. But really what prayerlessness is and inconsistency in prayer, do you know what it is a indication of? It is an indication of our pride. Inconsistency in prayer, prayerlessness in your life and my life, it is us saying to God, I'm good, I'm good. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So every lack that you have, every time you don't know where to turn, every time like the nation comes to this place where they're not easy answers, the, the lack is an invitation to draw us to our knees, to draw upon his inexhaustible supply. So some of you here today, you lack the wisdom to know, hey, what is the best way for me to really connect with my teenage daughter, my teenage son? What, what is the best way for me to connect? That lack is an invitation to draw upon the inexhaustible wisdom that he supplies to us. That lack of wisdom to know, how, how do I handle a tense situation at work? The lack of knowing exactly where to turn and exactly what to do, it actually is an invitation to draw you to your knees, to draw upon his inexhaustible wisdom. The lack of wisdom to know, what is, what is the best way for me to care for aging parents? There are 33 options that I have here. What, what do I need to do in these moments now? Our lack of wisdom is actually an invitation to draw us to our knees to receive his inexhaustible resources. James 1.5 is true. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. I ask you a question. Are you seeking him for guidance? I ask you as, as a person, are you desperate to follow his guidance? Do you live as if you've got all of this under control? Are you living as if he is the one who has it all under control? 
and you're leaning upon him. Do you lack strength here this morning? Do you feel heavy laden here this morning? Do you feel tired and overwhelmed this morning? Maybe sickness has been uh, clouding you and hounding you. Maybe you're here today and you feel amplified by your weakness. Well, you are in good company. You're in Paul's company. And Paul would reflect in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. But plaster that around you. Keep that before you. My power, that's God. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm gonna boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you know this truth? Are you seeking his strength? Are you leaning upon him? Do you know that he is enough for whatever you are facing? I'm just gonna repeat that because I want that to live on your heart. Do you know that he's enough for whatever you face? He's the only true God. He's the only true King. Do you know him? Are you following him? Do you depend upon him? S.M. Lockridge, decades ago, has this wonderful prayer. It just culminates this message that he's preached. And I just want you to overhear the power of our King. Do you know my king? My king is the only one whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. There's no far-seeing telescope that can bring into visibility the coastlines of his shoreless supplies. There are no barriers that can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong, entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast, immortally graceful, imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son, the center savior, the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself because he is unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He is preeminent. You know who he is? He's my king. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs, your needs, my needs, all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He is strong and he guides. He heals the sick, he cleanses the lepers, he forgives sinners, he discharges debtors, he, he delivers the captives, defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the aged, he rewards the diligent and beautifies the meek. Do you know him? His office is manifold, his promise is sure, his light is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes because his word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Do you know him? He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. He always has been and always will be. He has no predecessor and he will have no successor. There was nobody before him. And guess what, Christian? There will be no one that will come after him. You can't impeach him, nor will he resign. Christian, be reminded of who your king is. Be comforted that he is all sufficient. Be encouraged 
that you know who to turn to even in the most impossible of situations. You know who to seek, who invites you to know him and experience his comfort. The all-sufficient God who always hears you, never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's always with you and he never blinks even when everything around us changes in the blink of an eye. Let us pray.